Good morning, church. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that he might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Please be seated. Thank you, Jason. Well, we have uh, been in a series the last four weeks called Deeply Loved, if you, or Deeply Formed, excuse me, uh, the last four weeks, and it's been a fun series to be in. Again, if you didn't pick this up, it's from a book, uh, I picked up the ideas and the concepts from the book uh, by Rich Velotis called The Deeply Formed Life. It's a great book on practices and some, uh, some great things about it about the interior life, and not only just about the interior life, we're going to get to a few of them later in the year about how our life, the interior life reflects on our exterior life. Well, what a better day, a better way uh, to kind of conclude this portion of the series than to talk about love, uh, than with communion itself. I mean, it is very, very, very fitting. Well, Jesus has called us to love well. In fact, some of you may remember this. It's uh, found in Matthew 22. Uh, Jesus one day was asked by an expert in the law from the crowd a question, right? Jesus had just responded to the religious, political, theological, and yeah, you didn't think that he got into all of that, but he did. Political party, the Sadducees, and put them in their place regarding marriage and the resurrection, this is kind of a beautiful thing, and the way Jesus responds to people is just wonderful. It makes you feel warm inside, especially in those spaces and places. 
So the religious political party, the Pharisees, thought that they would lob a question to Jesus in this time and see how he would respond. Now, if you're not familiar with Jesus, uh, Jesus does not do what you would expect him to do. He does the unexpected, or as some of us have come to understand, he has an upside-down kingdom. He has an upside-down kingdom that he continues to present and just put on display for us that we have to just kind of really wrestle with and reconcile. He often zigs when we think he should zag and all that kind of jazz. Whether they were attempting to trip Jesus in this moment or not with the question, he didn't answer as they would expect. He stated to their question, what is the greatest commandment? He took two and combined them from the Old Testament, one from Leviticus and then Deuteronomy. He said, what is the greatest commandment? It is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So today we're going to talk about loving well or that we're called to love well. Let me just give you a little overview of where we've come and where we're going to conclude today. If you remember, just a few short weeks ago, we were talking about Easter And we were on Easter and we talked about Jesus' death on the cross and that his vacating the tomb and rising from the grave was God's just extreme love and extent for us. The picture on the screen is not for this moment. So just to let you know, you guys are like going, wait a second, how does that fit? It's not there yet. It's all right. It's all right. We're good. Just want to let you know. But that was his extent of love for us. But this is the crazy thing. As we come to understand Jesus and as we've come to know a little bit about him, we realize, wait a second, not all are involved in this kingdom journey. You know, he may have died on the cross. He may have, uh, you know, he may have rose from the grave and vacated. He chose to vacate on our, on our behalf. There's something that has to happen. There's a choice that we have to make. And it's the choices, one that he continued to he continued to bring before everybody all the time, and that is to follow him, to follow him in your lifestyle and your behaviors and all of this. I was reminded just this last week that John Mark Comer, in some of his material, specifically um, uh, his, his book about hurry, said that the only way that we're going to live the Jesus life is if we do the Jesus pattern. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but it's that. We have to do that. So if you've made the choice, this is the point, if you've made the choice to follow Jesus, you realize, oh, that's not all. I didn't punch my ticket, and it's a ticket to ride. Okay, yeah, some of you are starting to sing in your head. Don't do that. But what you come to discover is that, whoa, wait a second. That's not it. Because I love Jesus, and I want to do what he wants me to do, but I'm not all the way there. I'm divided in my mind. I'm divided in my heart, and I'm divided in my soul. There are things that I want to do uh, that I don't do. There are things I don't want to do that I do. And the great thing and the helpful thing is that we're not alone in this. Paul himself was in this and wrestling through this and we walk through Romans chapter 7 as he wrestled through that idea that concept right of trying to go wait a second I love Jesus I know what he did was right but how do I do this thing of called life with and life following Jesus and if you're like me uh 
in that process of trying to make the dis- decision and choice, I remember those days uh, I was in high school. I wanted to have all the small things figured out before I made the big choice of following Jesus, right? I, you probably do too. Lord, are you going to make sure that I'm successful? Are you going to make sure that I'm wealthy? Are you going to take care of this issue? I don't want to talk to them. Are you going to take, you know, I mean, all of these things, I had all these minor things I wanted him to just, please just take care of these, and then I, I'll choose to follow you. But as you and I have discovered, and if you're young enough not to figure this out yet, you have to make the big choice to follow before all the other choices, all the other things come in line. So even this divided life that we deal with, we have to make the big choice of following Jesus and going, oh, wait a second, it's right to follow you. But we continue to find ourselves in the cycle of, wait a second, my interior life is not reflecting what I want on the outside, and my outside life is, oh, wait a second, I'm in this conflict. And so what we did is we walked through this idea and this concept that that Jesus pulls us in in a loving way, like a counselor, like a, 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 a friend, maybe even a parent, if you had a parent like this who says, look, let me hear what's going on in your heart. Let me hear what's going on in your mind. Let me understand what's taking place a little bit. And let me speak. Can I, can I hear it? Let me examine that. Let me, let's lay that open. And so we talked last week about the fact, the very fact that our job really is to allow our lives, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if we take this to love God, to be laid open continually before the Lord. But we have to ask this question, why? What is the purpose of all of that? We'll get to that in a second. But this relationship of following Jesus is much like a relationship or a marriage that we may look at. That's the picture. We we see that in many um, situations in marriage, some of them don't end well, but the healthy and whole ones kind of have this picture in my mind at least. Can you imagine with me a little bit uh, about what the storyline is about this? Maybe you don't play this game when you go to restaurants with your spouse or your friends. You look across the the restaurant and go, hey, I wonder what their story is. And so you start to build the story about them. Well, we're going to build a little story about this couple today. I think that's healthy. It's this. They've had heartache. Uh, they've, they love each other and they loved each other on the day that they said, I do at the altar. But they lost a child. One of them was unfaithful to the other one. Um, family maybe didn't get along so well. But they realized, though, in all of that, that the covenant that they made at the altar before God was lifelong. That it was worth surrendering their love to one another on a daily basis, even when they didn't feel like it, even when they didn't even want to. To get to the point where they, where they could say at the end of their lives, looking back on all of their family and all of this stuff, that we've loved each other with an endearing love. And that surrendering in love was exactly what they want to do. This is what Jesus calls us into. You see, we watch a 
a lot of marriages and maybe even some friendships that have gone the way of the rocks. I mean, they've, they've just been pounded by life and uh, the participants in those have, have kind of went, you know, it's more contractual. It's not working out. So I'm going to look for fun. And so the idea of seeking fun over the depth of life, well, the depth of life lost in many of those cases. Jesus calls us into a depth of life, a depth of abundant love, ab- abundant living. So when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to a covenantal relationship. It's bound in his blood, but it's bound in his love. It is an incredible, beautiful thing. But to what end? To what end does a a couple continue to love each other through all the heartache that we can imagine that some couples go through? I think it's this. To not just make it to the end and say they made it. Because there is nothing in that. I mean, really, there is nothing in that. To just say, oh, our marriage survived and we existed. But it really is this idea that love in the deepest form of way that is participatory, 100%, allows us to love well. That the idea of surrendering to one another, the idea, the concept that is, that is put out there at the beginning of our marriages is, is that if we surrender to one another in this love, that we'll actually end up loving deeper, not only ourselves and one another in this relationship, but we'll be able to love those around us in ways we could never imagine or explain. Jesus calls us into that. Jesus calls us into that kind of a life, and I know it's kind of hard to, uh, kind of hard to fathom and understand the kind of depth that he calls us into because, well, we don't often talk about it, and it's not often seen too often. Many of us live superficially. The things of life cause us the ability or cause us the, uh, the temptation to abandon those things that actually make for deeper love, deeper relationships, deeper flourishing. Rich Volotis in his book, Deeply Formed Life, says it this way, interior examination is the way of life that considers the realities of our inner worlds for the sake of our own flourishing and the call and the call to love well. When we allow Jesus into our inner life, our mind, our heart, and soul, we allow him to give us a flourishing and a love and to be able to love well the world around us. We're just simply called to love well. What does this mean? Well, when we read that Jesus stated to the religious lawkeeper that we're to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and strength, we often get, we often mix things up in our minds and our hearts that oftentimes we think it's about the method than it is about the message, right, to loving God. This is the problem for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is why he lobbed back to them, hey, I don't think you're completely understanding. To the, to the Sadducees before that, he's like, wait a second, your theology is out of whack here. But to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength is to love all people as you love yourself. Whoa, wait a second. So we think it's about keeping duty, 
Well, it is in a way. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's broader than that. It's allowing the love of Jesus to be expressed. We'll get into the specifics in a moment through all of our lives. We're going to use the passage that Jason read earlier as our passage for today. But to gain an understanding and the love for 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we have to understand a little bit about John and his, his journey. He, he's, he's older at the point of writing this. I don't know how old he is, but he has seen a lot. He, he started following Jesus. He heard uh, all that Jesus taught, or at least most of it, and a lot of it was maybe repeated if he wasn't in his hearing, but he heard most of it. But this is what happened after Jesus died. He experienced the, the death of many of his brothers and sisters because they followed Jesus. I mean, death after death, persecution after persecution. He saw it, he lived through it. His experience of persecution is not just uh, others, but it was his personally. The Romans just were not kind to Christians. And in fact, he lived through one of the most cruelest Roman emperors we know, Nero. Nero did not like the followers of Jesus at all. Uh, Nero would skin people alive, skin Christians alive, use them as torches in his garden. I mean, he would, I mean, there's so many ways that, that Nero and uh, the followers of Nero just were opposed to, to, to Jesus. It was incredible. In fact, we often use the Antichrist as some looming thing in the future. He was an Antichrist, literally Antichrist, and it was a true statement of Nero. John saw all of these horrors, and yet he writes in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John something pretty incredible to all of that. We think we've seen horrors. Maybe some of our brothers and sisters around the world have seen it, but we've not seen the horrors that he lived through. And his response is incredible. It's almost, it almost doesn't calculate in your mind, in your heart, if you think about probably all that he saw, all that he went through, all that he knew. But he appeals to his writers to love, not to hate, to love, and to love well, love thoroughly, love those who don't agree with you, don't care for you. It doesn't matter, you are to call to love. It was the driving motive and his only way of moving through life. Now, if you think John came to this on his own, he didn't come to this on his own. Just like we don't come to truth on our own, a Holy Spirit's residing and abiding within John personally just and communally. There's just this, this space. I mean, because left on our own, when people hate us, we're gonna hate them back. That's the language we use. We're gonna cancel them. Right? This is the language we use, but John appeals, no, absolutely not. And we come to it and go, wait a second, I, I want to I do good, but I do bad. And he's like, oh, oh. Let, let's, just, let's just relax a little bit. Let's just relax in his love. Let go of the grip of what you think is owed you. And live into love. He starts out, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who love, loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love 
does not know God because God is love. Oh, John is pressing us to wrestle with a theological truth, a depth of understanding that really is quite mind-boggling, but is absolutely true, that God is love. God is love. The other day, Kathy and I were driving, and we were behind a car, which just had a few bumper stickers in our area, just a few. And one of the stickers said, fight, hate. Now, we, we had a hard time not laughing. Fight, hate. I, I, I think I understand what they're saying, and so do you, maybe. But for some odd reason, we've just, we've, our culture just continues to seep this idea that to, 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 uh, to, to go in an opposite direction, to really love, is, I think that's what they're wanting, I hope, man. But to go the opposite direction, we have to do something that doesn't seem, it doesn't seem right. So we, we wrestled with that and we, we tossed it around. But this is the truth. That is not the way of Jesus. We don't fight anything. The only thing that we're called to do is stand firm in the truth. Ephesians 6. We put on the full armor, but he doesn't call us into necessarily battle. That's the interesting thing. He tells us to just stand in the armor. Let me take care of the battle, right? God is love. This is what I think we're being driven to and driven at in this. It's surrendering and submitting to his love is a, is a way of life that unplugs hate. It unplugs apathy even. But it allows us to see people, oh, with compassion. When we surrender to love, this is what this is saying. This is what John's telling us. We actually are surrendering to God. We're surrendering to God. John is encouraging us in the way of love and saying, look, put down the fight. Actually, get on your knees and surrender into my love or surrender into God's love because he is love. And this is where some of us go, okay, that's great. I love love because I, you know, I I just love love, right? I mean, you never met anybody like that, right? That's kind of like in that zone. But John takes us right into the understanding what love is, what it looks like, what it really feels like. This is how God showed his love among us, among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So if you've ever wondered what really love looks like, whether it should be in marriage or in a relationship, let me tell you what it should look like. It is this, love is personal, it's sacrificial, and it's communal. It's personal, meaning he loved you enough to die for you, for you, for every person in the world. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? It's personal, but he, it's also this communal, and it's sacrificial. It's, it's, it's putting down what is, what his, is right and taking up what is for you or for the other person. That's what love is. But what is this based in? What is this based in? I think that's really what goes, should be 
playing in the back of our heads, wait a second, if, if I let go of my rights, what happens to my power? What happens to my rights? What happens to my way? Who's going to fight for me? We'll get to it. But it needs to be personal. If you've not said yes to Jesus, you need to follow. It needs to be sacrificial. There is something that he gave up for you. Jesus gave up for you. God gave up for you so that you could breathe. So you could live. So that you can have life. And it's communal because nowhere in scripture does he talk about that it's just for you. It's for we. It's for us. Right? For our sins, not for just your sins. We start to take care of one another in this. It's not just personal. It's personal so that we can take care of us, the world, one another. Dear friends, since God so loved, the, so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and God, his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So what is he saying here? This is how I boil down a large chunk of this. When we love, God is seen. When we love, God is seen. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. This is, again, personal, it's sacrificial, and it's communal. It's personal, sacrificial, and communal. That's what happens when we love well. We're willing to give up our, what we believe is our rights, and maybe, you, maybe it is your right, but you're willing to surrender it for others. When we love, God is seen. Has that ever happened to you? Has, have, you have you ever had somebody say, you know what, I had this plan, but I'm, I'm going to set this aside for you today? Or you know that they did that. Can I just tell you, when people do that, they act like God. They act like Jesus acts. They go, oh, yep, I wanted to sleep in, but you know what? My sleep is not as important as you. It's not as important as we. That's how the world sees God. When we set aside our agenda, our plans, our rights. The world sees. John had every reason to tell his brothers and sisters, stay indoors, stay away from people. You can't trust them. Seriously. John had every right in the world. He, they, they walked outside their door and started living as Jesus told them to live. They were going to be, well, who knows what was going to happen to them. They could have been killed outright. But he said, look, this is the only way the world will know. And in fact, it's one of the very ways John's words and words Words really repeated of Jesus were one of the grand ways that followers and Christianity made it to this day is because Christians didn't run, in, run into pandemics. They did, by the way. They didn't run into epidemics in the world. They didn't run into political situations with their rights up. They actually put their rights down and gave themselves away. 
as aroma to Christ, dying for him in some cases, ministering to those who were sick, and even dying because their hope wasn't based in this world. Their hope was based in another place, another time, and most specifically in Jesus himself. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect fear drives, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Can I ask you, over the last week, when did fear or anxiety or worry just bubble up and, and just take over? You see, that's exactly what John is talking about, is that when, it, when fear and its derivatives hop up into our heart, into our minds, and into our, our very souls and start to direct us, we realize, oh, I'm not living out of the motive, out of the drive of love. Why? This is the question uh, behind all of this. Why do we live in this way? Why do we live self-sacrificing? Why do we live knowing that, that love is personal, that we're going to deliver something personally, and it's been personally given to us, but then we're going to do something communally? It's this. Because we believe without a shadow of a doubt that God is in control, or what we say theologically, he is sovereign uh, Colossians tells us that Jesus holds everything together and we believe that and we live in that and we live through that. We don't submit ourselves to fear. We don't live out of fear. It doesn't mean we don't have it. It just means we don't submit ourselves. We don't allow our lives to be directed by it. We allow love to do its purifying act through us and in us. Verse 19 says this, We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. These are hard words, friends, aren't they? Because right now in your mind, you're thinking about all these relationships you've cut off or canceled. Social media, uh, whether or relationships or family members, if you saw them, you would kind of, oh, I'm dodging and darting behind something else. And he says, oh, you can't do that. That's not allowed. So a follower of Jesus is one who says, oh, wait a second. All right, I have to work through this. We're not, this is not that message right now, how to work through those relationships. But it is a message to remind you, if you've canceled somebody, if you've cut somebody off, if you've, you're, 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 you've said you're done with somebody, there may be reasons behind all of that. But love does not allow us to do that. The love of God does not allow us to do this because loving God is loving all people. Every single person. Because love is personal, it's sacrificial, and it's communal. Jesus, or John wasn't the first one to say this. Jesus was the one who, who brought this into the platform of the upside-down kingdom. He said, love your enemies. 
It's one of the most radical thoughts and concepts that Jesus brought in at the time and even to today. To love your enemies. John's only repeating what has been told to him and he's repeating it because he can see that love actually does the work that needs to be done. He has lived long enough to realize that love is one of those things that, that, that other things can't penetrate. Hate can't penetrate it. Apathy can't penetrate it. You know, there, that love is impenetrable when it's lived in and through God. It's just radical. I just think about John's words, and it's just radical words that sometimes we've said we're not willing. We're not even willing to live out. I would just plead with you, my friends, followers, fellow followers of, of Jesus, to at least be willing and allow Jesus, allow the Spirit to move you in the direction and allow his love to move. So what do we do with all this? If, if Jesus came to liberate our lives, and this is kind of some of the work that he's doing in us, right? He, he leads us into these relationships where we kind of go, I, I don't really like that person. But I'm called to love on them. I heard a professor this last week say, uh, through something I was listening to, that he was meeting with somebody he actually did not like, but that he was going to love because they needed him and he needed them. That's an incredible statement that he was purposely allowing himself to meet with this individual, to be with this individual, so that there could be a greater transformation of God's love present there in him and through him and probably back the other way in some ways. I don't, love is just a crazy thing. So what do we do with all this? Well, N.T. Wright says the Christian faith grows directly out of and must directly express the belief that in, that in Jesus, the Messiah, the one true God, has revealed himself to be the love incarnate. And those who hold this faith and embrace it as the means of their own hope and life must themselves reveal the same fact, the same act before what the watching world. That is what we're called to do. Love incarnate must be the badge that the Christian community, the followers of Jesus, wear. The sign not only of who they are, but of of who their God is. Really? Now this is just coming from Entria. He's he's not in the Bible. But he's right. Really? Oh, Lord. So how do we get there? How do we do this? Well, I just have a a few things, and they may be on the surface kind of strange, but they fit within this idea of doing the interior work of our hearts and our lives. Practice being present. Practice being present. Number one, or first to yourself. First to yourself. Remember what Jesus said. He said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He calls us to acknowledge that there are things inside of us that we don't like. That he needs to teach us to love and care for in ways that he would love and care for. And so he calls us into this really, I mean, a whole, whole message up to this point is like outward directed, right? 
But he calls us to take care of our hearts so that we can do exactly what he's calling us to do without even thinking about it. So that we can practice being present to yourself first to love all people well. We must go to the doctor. We must go to our counselor. We must go to the Father and allow him to do the surgery in our hearts to rewire, rework us, to realign us, to restore us, restore us in the right direction. So we don't have to think about loving people. We just do it. We just do it. But let me tell you this, that you don't do one only while waiting to do the other. Some of us like to think that, oh, I need to, I need to get off the highway of serving or giving or loving in order to take care of me. No, Jesus has already given us practices and ways to do that, so it's on as you go. In fact, the great commandment, or the great commission, says, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. It is this idea that he is with you constantly, and he's given you Sabbath, he's given you places and spaces for groups with people, in order for you to attend to your heart, to attend to your soul, to attend to your mind, so that you can love well as you go. And he will continue to do the work all the days of your life. That may be discouraging to some, may be encouraging to others. But his desire for us is to love well as he's loved, sacrificially, personally, and communally. One last thing from N.T. Wright. Like this guy. What God launched decisively in Jesus, he wants to complete in and through us. Isn't that incredible? There's no other plan. We're not plan B. We are the plan. As Jesus unveiled God before a surprised and unreadied world, so, we, so must we. Love is that important. Oh, that we would surrender to love in these moments, that we would submit ourselves to the loving God who has called us into a loving relationship to transform our hearts, our minds, and our souls so that we might love well those around us. He calls you. He calls me. Let's pray before we move into communion. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the call to love. I thank you that the call to love is, is not done under my own power or strength, but as John said, it's done through the power of the Holy Spirit in and through me, in and through us. Father, for that I am grateful this morning. Because there are spaces and places and with people I do not love well. And to be honest, as to be honest, there are people I I'm not even sure I want to love. Yet, Father, you want me to love them. 
So Lord, lead me and lead us in that way. Your son gave us the greatest example the world has ever seen. Freely giving his life for us so that we may be deeply formed by love. And we are grateful this morning. So we come this morning to your table, surrendered, submitted, asking for your Spirit's guidance in us. Amen. Well, the table this morning is set for all who believe and follow Jesus. It's not an exclusive table or an exclusive club. Jesus has always invited people to his table and to follow and so you are invited this morning. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this in our communion ritual this morning. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Let me ask you a question. Let's pause here for a moment. But how do we love? How have you loved this last week? How does that reflect communally on Jesus and one another? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So where did you not share what you had when you know you could have this last week? Confess that to the Lord now. In those places with people to whom we did not give freely, forgive us and have mercy on us, Lord. Family, abide in his love. So we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Where did you or do you live in fear now 
confess that fear to the Lord. In those moments of fear or perpetual fear where we find ourselves, forgive us and have mercy on us, Lord. Friends, abide in his love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Where and with whom did or does anger, hate, or contempt permeate where love is to reside as a follower of Jesus? Confess this to the Lord. Lord, forgive us and have mercy on us. Friends, abide in his love. Jesus lovingly invites you to the set table before you by both his truth and his grace. It it is a place in and with him where our brokenness and sin is, 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 we're restored, we're reformed and reconciled into wholeness and the integrity by his all-consuming and purifying love. So if you will, take your, take your elements, whether you're online or with us in person. So it's this, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave it to them and broke it, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Take and drink it. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. 
Father, we are grateful for your love. Father, we're grateful for the love that sent Jesus to us. Born of a virgin into poverty and oppression, but lived a life of love for us and sacrifice. Seeking and seeing us personally, he gave. So that we, we could become the sons and the daughters of the host, most high God. Father, we are grateful for the son's gift to us of life, wholeness, integrity, and love. Lord, lead us to love deeply and well. Amen.